Hallelujah. So here's the next part of our service. We are blessed today. We have uh, supported missions efforts in Brazil, uh, Romania, Germany, Sri Lanka, India, quite a few in Mexico. But so far, our only missions effort on the continent of Africa, which is maybe the most needy continent on the planet, is a young man named Justin Triesta. His picture and his biographical information is in our handout on missionaries. Those of you that pray for the missionaries in the church regularly, and that should be everyone, ought to recognize him when he steps up here. He's especially close to my heart because Matthew and I were on a mission trip in Mexico. And we know that I, I started off the very first time I met him. I said, hey, man, what you been reading? Uh, how many conversations have I started with you guys like that? <laughs> right? He began to tell me what he was reading. I said, what's your favorite scripture? You know, you know how intense we can be. And at first he was taken a little back by that. But by the next mission trip we went on, he talked about the word the entire time. I sensed a change that happened in his life. And I said, hey, have you been filled with the Holy Ghost? He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, I see the Holy Spirit's presence all over your life. Are you free in the spiritual gifts? Are you praying in other tongues? Are you able to do what you want to do in the Spirit? And he goes, I want to be. I said, you're about to be. <laughs> I got filled with the Holy Ghost in a hotel room while everybody else was sleeping because he wanted to stay up, he wanted to worship, he wanted to get more of God. So when we found out he was going to another country, we wanted to support that. So we've been praying for the nations, right? Isn't that right? Did y'all draw randomly from a basket for the nations? How, how many of you drew nations? Okay, I, I want you to understand something while your hands are up. Uh, you, you can hold them up. We're going to revisit this issue every week. We're going to ask for random testimonies about your nations. If we get two months into this and you have a nation that you can't tell us anything about and you have no burden for in prayer, we're going we're, we're gonna, to uh, repo your nation because they're important to us. Who had Tanzania? Put your hand down unless you had Tanzania. How about that? How old are you, Cody? How old are you, Justin? Two men, one move to prayer, one move to go. One move to prayer, one move to go. Cody wanted to go, but he's got a job. He's building a life. He wanted to go to Tanzania. He's been asking Richard Rogers about it. He's been talking to me about it. Richard's another missionary we support. What nation did you draw randomly from the basket? Was that before or after you had a burden to go to Tanzania, to pray for Tanzania? He drew the nation randomly from the basket after he already had the vision. Already had the desire. Does that sound like God to you? Amen. God has anointed one to pray, one to go. And you know whose job it is to pay? All of us. Not, the, not an institution. You. If we're in Jesus, we are about investing in the kingdom, financing in the gospel worldwide. You will not have an offering plate passed in front of you. I'm telling you, you shouldn't need that kind of prompting. When you see a young man who is willing to go, I want you to think about where you will sleep tonight. What you will eat tomorrow. <coughs> he's willing to go. He's willing to pray. The least we could do is pray. Amen? amen? Come on, say amen. 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 Come on, Justin, tell us something. Make sure I got enough room for I get a little crazy. Uh-oh. <laughs> no, uh... Look, if you need to slap somebody, pick that one on the side. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, first of all, I just wanted to say that uh, I'm 
really excited to be here uh, because I feel like this is probably my second home church because I've known a lot of you for uh, probably about three years now. Yeah. And uh, we spent some time together in Mexico worshiping and, uh, you know, reading the word together and just really getting to know each other. And, and I look out and I see a lot of people that I knew three years ago and that I could see growth now. And, and I love that. That's, that's just one of the things I love to see in uh, my life and your life too. But um, while I was in Africa, I could not wait. I really could not wait to get to this church and, <laughs> and share about it. So um, first, I, wanted to, I want to start um, kind of in the beginning of this, this story, this journey or whatever. I um, got saved before my senior year of high school. And um, I knew, you know, right when I got saved, I... I you know, in my head, I wanted to be like a preacher, evangelist, whatever, you know, some guy stood on big stages and prayed for the sick and all that, you know, I'm sure all of us wanted to do that. But um, I, I I felt a calling on my life that God was going to have me do something great. And I know uh, a lot of you feel the same, that God is going to have you do something amazing. And I, and I felt that and, and I just, I couldn't explain it. And um, I, I always remember whenever <laughs> Pastor Eric, uh, pray for me to receive the Holy Spirit, and I, I remember when I received it, and, and I know that I've received it because I can't get away from it now. You know? It's just, it's always there. I cannot get away from it. And uh, it's the Holy Spirit is just, you know, I've always felt empowered to do, even though in my weakness, I've always felt empowered and, and guided to do what God has called me to do. Amen. But uh, before my senior senior of high school, I got saved, and I felt that God was going to have me do something amazing. I, I just, I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't figure out what in the world God is calling me to do, what he has in my life, because before I got saved, I had so many things I wanted to do. I wanted to be a rock and roll star. I wanted to be, you know, just a lot of crazy stuff, and then whenever God saved me, he just gave me this all pedal to the metal spirit in me that I'm, I'm going to do this thing all the way. I'm not going to just be a half Christian, and um, he, he, I felt him calling me something great, and I couldn't put my finger on it, so what I did is I committed myself to the church. I, I decided that I was going to serve my pastor and the body of people in my church until God tells me clearly what he has called me to do, and I did that, and, and I kid you not, those were some growing years. Those are the times where I really grew as a Christian, you know. Uh, being right along my pastor and ministry and those kinds of things. And uh, I remember it, it came, you know, time my, my, I had a Jeep. It was a 1998 black Grand Cherokee. And you say that with some affection, like you like it. Yeah, I, I really did. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, it was, it was a piece of property that I actually owned. I, you know, was, you know, I'm a young man and that was the only thing I really had under my name. And, I wanted to get a truck really bad. I remember that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to sell it and upgrade to a nice four-door, uh, you know, something nice. And um, one, I don't, it, I think my dad came up with the idea. He says, why don't you go to Africa? And I thought to myself, where did that come from? You know, how, how does somebody just come up to you and say, I think you need to go to Africa? Because we heard that JR, uh, some of you know JR from uh, yeah. Yeah. Bay City. And he's been in Mexico with us. Uh, we heard Bay JR was going. So my dad said, well, why don't you go with JR to Africa? And I was like, uh, wow. And uh, first of all, I started thinking, where am I going to get the money to do this? How am I going to do this? And then the thought came, well, sell your Jeep. 
And I said, whoa, that's my only piece of property that I have. It's the only thing that I can actually, you know, that has value. I can go and trade it, get something newer, you know. That's the only thing I have going for me right now is my Jeep. And to tell you the truth, it was hard to part with it, but I felt God calling me to do this, and I didn't know what he had in store, but I felt God calling me that, that this was where he was going to lead me. And so I did it, and that's, that's what I went off of. I didn't go off of, you know, some guarantees that, yes, when you go, you will be protected, and you'll have, you know, a lot of this, and when you get back, you're going to have a car waiting for you, and you're going to have a job and all that. I did I just, I just said, I'm, you know, I feel like this is what God's calling me to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. And so I remember just the months leading up, I, I was so nervous. It was the first time I was ever going to be out of the house. I, um, I ended up going. And when I first got there, you know, I had this mindset that uh, I just, it, it, I didn't know what to expect. And when I got there, I, I met some amazing missionaries. I, uh, I got connected with a, some awesome ministries there. And I got to see what God is doing in Tanzania. You know, I, I got to meet, I, I believe it's, it's a movement in Tanzania, really, because there's young missionaries there like myself who are living there, and they are devoted to planting churches in Tanzania. And so I get there to Tanzania, and this is what I, I've actually wanted to do, is plant churches. And I get there, and I realize that this could not be any more perfect. That God had put me in a place where I'm going to meet young people like myself, who have a passion to go out there and tear the, the devil's kingdom down. You know, there is, there's unreached people groups all over the world, and uh, an unreached people group is a, a people group that have never, it's never had a church planted amongst them. Any kind of church, really. Uh, Methodist, Lutheran, any, any type of form of Christianity, there's never been amongst them. They have their own language and all this type of stuff. Well, there's unreached people groups in Tanzania. And I, um, I met a missionary named Tori Rasmussen. He's about 25. And he was born in Africa. And he, that's what he does is he goes to these unreached people groups and he goes to them, even though he's not welcome amongst them. He's a white person, so they don't like him <laughs> because they think he's part of the government. He's actually been, you know, they've tried to kill him. He's been, you know, he's been interrogated for being a mercenary. He's been rioted against because he'll go into these villages and start praying for people, you know, start getting people healed. And they think it's not of themselves. <laughs> they try, you know, they've tried to riot against him. They've tried, he's been beaten by a witch doctor, just numerous things. But what I found is something to look at and, and, and something that I can see God has taken and done a work in. And I've looked at that and I said, you know what? God can do that to me too. Amen. If he's a 25, he's not an old guy. He's just, he's just like me. The old guy is, is us. <laughs> yeah. He's just like me and Cody and Ryan. And Brandon and Dustin, he, I mean, we're just crazy young guys, you know, we're, we, we might talk crazy sometimes, we might, you know, get a little riled up, but what's the important thing? Do you have a passion to see Christ exalted where there is no Christ in people's lives? Amen. And I, I so love what I hear in this church. It, it, I heard one life, one family, one nation. You see, that's what we go by in Tanzania. That if you could just touch the person in front of you, you know, if you could just go up to one person and, and, and draw them and, and disciple them, 
and give them Christ and bring them up to maturity. And then that one person goes and gets two people. And then those two people go and get four people. And those four people go out and get eight people. Sixteen. I don't know. And then before you know it, the nation is reached. You know, I wanted to share something. A lot of times, you know, whenever people hear, I, I go to Africa, I'm a missionary to Africa, I come back to the States, I you know, go to churches and say, yes, I'm a missionary to Africa. I, I, I feel like people almost want to pin a medal on my chest. You know, it's like uh, I'm, I'm held in higher esteem because I'm a missionary to Africa. You know, it's, it's all the grandeur of going to Africa. And, you know, yes, it's hard, I will tell you. I've been out in the bush. I've slept in a, in, in a tent on the ground. I've taken a bath in the river. I've, you know... I, you we, know we understand what comes yeah, with that. I know, I know. You guys have done the same in India. You know, there's malaria. There's people out there with spears and AK-47s. It's, it gets crazy. And, but I'm no different than you guys because you are missionaries. Amen. Just because I go to an African continent does not make me... It, I mean, who decided to pin the metal upon my chest? When I walk in the building, everyone, you know, all the missionaries here. But it should not be that way because you are the missionaries. You have the same calling, the same power, the same gospel that I, I take. Amen. It's just with a different language, you know. Amen. But see, you are also missionaries here. Amen. So don't lose that vision that there's people here. There's people right out here that need the same thing as they do in Africa. They need the same thing, and you have it. And and I see that you guys have, have grown so much. I see some faces here that I've never seen before, and that's what I love. I love to see the growth. And uh, another thing I wanted to share is, I wanted to, I wanted to leave you with a scripture. First uh, Corinthians 4.20. I remember the one time I came here, and uh, I believe it was Matt. You said this was your favorite scripture? Or Matt or somebody. We, we, we have a new favorite with every day. Really? <laughs> well, I, I've always taken this from, from this church because I remember somebody came and told me this one scripture. And they asked me, do you know 1 Corinthians 4.20? And I said, you know, I tried to, off the top of my head, oh, yeah, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, for we were saved, but no. But um, <laughs> you just throw out a popular one. For the kingdom... Of God, 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but a matter of power. You see, that used to be me, a talker. You know, I used to be so good at communicating the gospel. I tell you what, I, I would listen to preachers and preachers just so I would have something to say. Just so I could, you know, have all the right words, all the right doctrine, all that stuff. I, I'm tell you what, I could do the best. I could tell you, you know, all the doctrines of grace, all this, that, and that, just just so I can feel, I don't know, more perfected in my religion. But the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. You see, people out there, they don't need some, they, they don't need more preachers. Although preaching is important. They don't need, this world does not need more preachers. It needs more people who are empowered. Amen. By the Holy Spirit. Amen. It needs more people like David who are wild and crazy. But they have a hatred for the works of the enemy. Amen. You see, Amen. David was the perfect missionary. If you look at him, really, he, he, he failed in a lot of areas. But what did he do? 
He went out and got bloody in the blood of his enemies, in the blood of God's enemies. He went out and got his hands dirty. He pulled out his sword and he slayed his thousands. And then after that, he went and danced naked before the Lord. Amen. And what did the Bible say about him? He was a man after God's heart because he was wild about God. He did some crazy things. But his passion was God and his awesomeness. Come on, man. Amen. Amen. Justin does not. Uh, did you listen to our last message? Did you listen to my <laughs> No. No. Uh, I would ask you if you had seen my notes for this message, but I don't have any. So, uh, <laughs> do y'all hear a theme here, those of you yeah. that were here Wednesday night? Isn't that amazing? God brought a young man back from Africa to talk to us about the same things that God's communicating to us here. You know another reason David was a man after God's own heart? When a vicious animal attacked his sheep, he went after it, he struck it, he killed it, and he brought back that sheep. See, we're speaking about spiritual violence. Uh, this is our, our sermon topic. God is looking for people who have the will to act in His name. Amen. Can we pray for this, brother? Okay. Cody's already praying for him. Can we do anything else? Can we go beyond that? Is there a chance that God might move somebody's heart to drop something in the offering box that I can give to this young man? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give it anyway. The question is, do I got to go into the hole to do it? Or is there anybody else out there that will be obedient and meet us part way? That's the question. We're already given, but uh, will you meet us in that desire? Let's pray. By the way, he leaves May 1st to go back. May 1st, he heads back. Going back to Africa for who knows how long. <laughs> yeah. Cody, stretch for you. You come up here, you pray for him. One life, one family, one nation. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, brother. Bless you. I love you, Justin. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of your dad and your mom for making missions <laughs> such an effort, such a goal. It's changed your family, hasn't it, Pastor Trista? All the way. It's changed his whole family. Amazing thing when you get focused on doing something for someone else, what God does for you. Huh? That's an amazing thing. Y'all get your Bibles open. I told you I don't have notes for this message. You know where I have to have notes for? This is funny. I wanted to review uh, Wednesday night's message with you so you'll know where we're at since we're in the second part of the series. That I have to have notes for. To know what I taught Wednesday, I have to have notes for. To teach you today, I, I don't. Uh, we are in uh, the second part of spiritual violence, if you're taking notes. I know that's not a term we're familiar with, and, and uh, I promise you'll become familiar with it. Spiritual violence. So uh, it's March 25th, 2012, and that's our title. Uh, you don't have to turn to these scriptures to start with. I just want to refresh your memory, and those of you that weren't here Wednesday night, get you up to speed enough to know what it is we're speaking of today. In Matthew, the 11th chapter and the 12th verse, uh, the King James, or New King James says, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. The idea being here, and by the way, NIV just substitutes the word forceful. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it, is that it takes sincere personal effort, dedicated uh, fortitude, if you will, to do anything to God, uh, for God. As we move forward, we looked at Luke 16, 16. And in Luke 16, 16, he said, The kingdom of heaven 
is forcefully advancing and everyone is forcing or pressing their way into it. It takes a considerable effort to force your way into the ways of God rather than yield to the conforming pressure of the world. As we move forward that, we looked at descriptions of God. And this is probably where people for the first time who were hearing this, and if you have not heard the message, download it and listen to it, began to kind of scratch their head. As I saw you later in the week, I went bowling with somebody. I actually went bowling with 18 of you. Uh, David can bowl, by the way. And as, uh, as we were bowling, people began asking questions about the message. It provoked something. In Exodus 15, the Lord is called a warrior. It says the Lord is a warrior. That is his name. In Hebrew, it says uh, literally a mighty man of war. The Hebrews, when they pictured God, did not picture an eight-ounce golden diaper baby Jesus. They, they didn't picture that. They didn't picture even a gentle lamb. That was something that was new in, in, in the revelation of God. The way they pictured Him was a warrior. And I began to share that that description of God was because if you were going to battle, if someone was sieging your city, what was at stake? What was at stake was the life or health of your wife, the life or health of your children, the life or health of your community. Because the peoples without God had a habit of doing unspeakable things. We have young people in here today. I hate to even say it, but they violated people. They tore open bellies. They did terrible things. You know, when some of the warlords of the ancient times, men like Genghis Khan, men like Attila the Hun, Attila actually took one town's children and tied them live to the girdle of his horse as he went to the next city so that the archers on the wall were faced with killing their children to ward off the enemy. caused hesitation. They cut the heads of a human beings and catapulted them into the city. And if there was a body with a disease, they catapulted that one first. It was ancient biological warfare. Yeah. That's tough to hear, huh? So if you're the people of God inside that city, and suddenly the Lord answered you by sending an angel through the camp, or answered you by raining down hailstones, or answered you by empowering an inferior army, to overcome a superior army, you would rejoice in the Lord because it was your life or theirs. It was your family's or theirs and they were the aggressor and you needed the Lord. Are you with me? This is how the Hebrews thought of God. We move forward to look at all of those shocking scriptures. Psalm 68 says God will crush the hairy crowns of His enemies. That's graphic. This is We have signs up that say God is love all over this city, right? You, have you ever seen a sign anywhere that said, God will crush your hairy crown? But the Bible says it. And the Bible's either true or it's not true. Maybe we've been incomplete in our imagery of the Lord. We looked at that. Maybe more importantly, we moved on to spiritual warriors in the natural realm. There was a principle. Warfare is done in the heavenlies and it is done on the earth. But when a warrior from that realm steps into this realm, the consequences are devastating. In 2 Kings 19.35... One angel killed 185,000 men. When a warrior steps from that realm into this realm, it is devastating. 
the spiritual always, always, 100% of the time, trumps the natural. You remember that in Mark 5, we spoke about Wednesday night, the first few verses in Mark 5, many demons had gathered into one human being. You remember that? The Gadarean demoniac? Some of your Bibles will say a demoniac from the region of the Gerasenes. And the scripture actually says chains would not hold him. And no one was strong enough to bind him. Because when spiritual warriors step into the natural realm, nothing natural can deal with that. I read you about Elijah and Gehazi and surrounded by armies. And the armies of the Lord surrounded those armies. And with one word, they took them captive. Maybe most importantly though, I talked to you about the topic of spiritual violence. This came from Luke 4, 18. I'll read it to you. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. Who in here has never heard that scripture? Of course you've heard it. It's Isaiah 61. It's in three of the four Gospels. It is the announcement of Jesus' ministry. But have you ever asked yourself, how did they get blind? How did they get in prison? Who is it that is oppressing them? It is a spiritual warrior that has stepped into the natural realm and wants to affect the human race. We looked at Luke 13. A woman was crippled by an evil spirit for 18 years. That is a supernatural warrior that has stepped into the natural realm and literally she was bent over and could not stand up for 18 years. That is spiritual violence, friends. If, if you hear that one man was beating another man for 18 years, you would, you'd be moved to action. You would say, somebody needs to stop this. But somehow or another, when it's spiritual violence, we debate whether or not there's a spirit involved. We break down and go, you know, well, maybe what she needs is a better antibody. Now, today is not a theological exercise about is all sickness or all things demonic. No, uh, look, sometimes a spirit was rebuked and sometimes the person was just healed and a spirit's not mentioned. But why do we always assume that there is no spiritual violence, no spiritual warfare at hand. Because it alleviates us of responsibility for having to do anything. I'm saying if someone in prison, Jennifer, Mike's wife, Mike would do something about it. There's not a chance. He'd break every law. He would do whatever it took to free his wife. We have to wake up, church. There are demonic powers that are trying to enslave us. And I wanted to introduce that topic. And so I talked... Someone said that it was an excited message, I think. Uh, someone else laughed and said, I'd hate to see you if you ever really get motivated about a subject. Um, I don't think it'll put anybody to sleep who's listening to it. But we had to start somewhere. We had to start somewhere. And so that's such a big topic. Uh, spiritual violence in India so oppressed the nation that people are worshiping things they should be eating to stay alive. So where, did, where could we start? Well, when we think of spiritual warfare, every book that's ever been written on spiritual warfare starts in one place, doing battle with the spiritual realm. But this is not where our battle starts. So I began to teach you about a threefold fight. I began to teach you about three arenas that are overlapping, areas of contention, the arena of warfare. And the first one is the flesh. 
If you were on a desert island, if you had no outside influences, if it was a spiritually neutral zone so that neither the Holy Ghost nor any demonic power moved on you, how long could you be on your knees in prayer before your body said, I don't want to do this anymore? When would you ever wake up and say, you know, today I want to fast, and your body would say, oh yeah, that's a great idea, starve me. That's never going to happen. The first place that we meet resistance is always in the voice of our own flesh. As we begin to look at that, I wanted you to know the difference between your flesh, your spirit, and your soul. And as I, as I talked about those things and thought about those things, I said about your flesh, a little uh, thing to help you separate them. In your spirit, you're reborn. In your mind, you're renewed. But in your flesh, it must be replaced. It's beyond repair, friends. No, no matter how long you've been saved, it's not going to get any better. Your flesh is, is literally the old sinful nature. It, it's, it's corrupted until you are resurrected it will not get any better. So it is reborn, renewed, and replaced. Another way to think about it is in your spirit, you drink. In your mind, you think. But in your flesh, you always stink. That's just how that works. Nothing good dwells in the flesh, Paul said. Nothing. Nada. Zero. Zilch. Whatever language you would like to speak it in, nothing good is there. Another way that the Bible says this, and I'm not teaching you to hate your body. I'm not teaching you like... Uh, the ancient monks to go beat yourself, what good would that do for anyone? We looked at 1 Peter 2.11, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. My whole goal in Wednesday's message was to wake us up to spiritual violence that is happening in the war that is going on inside of you. When you have a desire to do something for the Lord, the first voice of opposition comes from you. It comes from your flesh that does not want to do it. It comes from the desire to protect, to nurture, to hang on to this life. It's the very first thing Jesus said we must give up. In Galatians 5.17 it said, For the sinful, desire, the sinful nature, or the flesh, desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. He goes on to say they're in conflict with each other. Conflict, warfare. The first battle is always with our own nature. And then I ask the church, how are you doing with that? How often does the spirit prompt us to do something, but our flesh simply says no? Right now, Brother Ronnie is fighting with his flesh. He's fighting with it. In some ways he's overcoming, in other ways he's struggling. This is why there's brothers around him. To help him. The flesh is a powerful enemy. It's a powerful enemy because we spend years feeding it, nurturing it, and caring for it. You know, 2 Peter says it this way, and then we're going to move on. Because I already taught that message. They promised them freedom. This is 2 Peter 2.19. While they themselves are slaves to depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If your flesh is mastering you, if you do not have the ability to say, no, I'm not going to eat that next cookie, and there's nothing wrong with cookies, I like them. If you do not have the ability to say, no, I will not go to sleep right now. If you don't have the ability to say, you know, I'm scared of heights, but God had said to go up there, so I'm going anyway. 
If you don't have the ability to go to Mexico where a man puts an AK-47 in your face because you have to protect this flesh, then you're a slave. That, that's what I didn't say it. Peter said it. Then in the 20th verse, he goes so far as to say, well, let me read exactly what he says. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome. Entangled and overcome was a war proverb. You remember we handcuffed Nolan? That was fun, wasn't it? Where's Nolan? Raise your hand, Nolan. Everybody enjoyed it but Nolan. We handcuffed Nolan. Nolan was free, rescued from the dominion of darkness, brought into the kingdom of light, but somehow or another became entangled in his own flesh's desires. It's like wearing handcuffs and then trying to go into battle. The reason that Satan is not obeying many of us when we rebuke him, or his powers are not, or we are not seeing victory, is because we're saying in the name of Jesus go, and he's saying... You have your left arm tied to my kingdom right now, and tomorrow you will want me back. And the proof is the 25 demonic things you watched on TV an hour ago. The world has a polluting effect. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Michael and I were in the gym with Judah. I didn't even have to hear the words to a song. It's amazing. I never even heard a word. I just heard the bass line and the, uh, the bass drum, it's kick. And all of a sudden lyrics came to my mind that I don't want in my mind. Your flesh has an appetite for the world and the world has a way of infiltrating your flesh. We better get wise to this if we're ever going to do anything about the spiritual violence that is going on all around us. Do you care when you see a mother of four that has married five people who beat her? Do you care? Or do we just say, well, that woman makes bad choices? She does. No question. She makes bad choices. But that's like blaming the victim. Something is happening in the spiritual realm to cause this. Amen. Something's happening. When you see six generations of alcoholics, we can say, oh, they just made bad choices, and they do. But something in the supernatural has targeted them in a very physical way. Do we care? See, I, I care. I care. More than that, I'm persuaded we have the power to do something about it yeah. if we will take off the handcuffs of desires for our own flesh. That's right. Every time you want to do something for God, your flesh is right there saying, no, you can't. That's right. If this sounds like cursing to you, I'm sorry, but I just said to hell with your flesh. I'm going to do what the kingdom of God requires of me because the Lamb purchased my obedience. Is that fair enough? Yes. I want to show you spiritual violence before I move on. Joy, can you put that on the screen? This is a magazine that my mother subscribes to. Israel, my glory. I've been talking to you about the power of Islam as a spiritually violent thing for a long time. I've been telling you that out of every hundred missionaries, only two of every hundred, two percent of the world's missionaries are working in Muslim countries. They're the least converted people group on the planet. The 1040 window is populated with Islam. The advance of the gospel east of Jerusalem, approaching back to Jerusalem from places like India and Africa. What stands in the way is the power of Islam. 
group of people on the planet today that are still beheading Christians. Specifically, scripturally, beheading Christians. <coughs> this is the back of a man. He has a Star of David carved into it. This is one month after the carving was done. And it's still that visible one month after the carving. You know what his crime was? He was a Muslim who fell in love with the king of the Jews. And he wrote a poem about it. Talk about spiritual violence. He stood up for Jesus. So men pulled in front of him in a car, cartel style, and behind him and blocked him in. They got out of their cars with guns and knives. Walked over to the driver's side window in broad daylight at 10.30 in the afternoon. Stabbed him in the side, bent him over the steering wheel, and laughed as they talked about how great Allah is, Allah Akbar, and carved that into his back. Is that moving? Does that hurt anybody? It does me. Anybody in here praying for a Muslim nation? My son has the nation of Oman to pray for. That hand's going up everywhere. You know where this happened? This was St. Louis, Missouri this year. St. Louis, Missouri this year. Nobody jailed. Nobody apprehended. If what you're hearing from me is anti-Muslim, the person, then you're not listening closely enough. I am telling you that there are supernatural warriors who have an effect in the natural realm. Ask him. Ask him. Ask any one of the apostles that were all martyred or attempted to be martyred in their life. And there is no match for the spiritual in the natural. There's none. Your flesh is already colluding with the enemy. Something has to be done. We don't declare war on our... I, I hit my hand with a hammer yesterday. That didn't make me more holy. Hurting your flesh will do nothing. I want to give you two practical steps. Two. And then we're going to move into our message about the world. Our two practical steps have to do with the denial of self. Jesus said... In the book of Matthew and in the 16th chapter, if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Do you remember that he said that? Yes, yes. What was step one? Deny himself. Step one is based on the denial of your flesh's desires. Is everything that your flesh desire wrong? No, your flesh is going to want air and you need it. I'm not telling you to feel guilty if you ate breakfast and you have a full sensation. The righteous eat to their heart's content, Proverbs says. I'm not talking to you about punishing your flesh. I'm talking to you about taking your stand in the warfare that says, I will not be a slave like an animal to my flesh's desires. If you've heard that all men are pigs, this is because they're slaves to their flesh. You show me a man who is not a pig, and I will show you a man that has learned to tell his flesh no. There's a strange kind of perverse smile that happens in a worldly group when you say all men are pigs. 
And it usually happens among women who have become every much a pig as the men that they're talking about are. Because they're a slave to their own flesh by way of their emotions in every other way. We must rise above this. The call of Christ says, deny yourself, follow him. By the way, where was he going and what are you carrying? You know, the cross has become a religious symbol, friends. Anybody in here wearing one? I won't be mad at you. I, 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 we wear them in our house. I have them on the wall. Somebody right here, you're wearing one. Can, can we see it, right? Look how pretty that is. It's a necklace. It's a necklace. Now, I'm not upset with Ray for doing that. There's a Patricia's got one. Patricia, is yours a precious metal? Yes, no. <clears throat> no? See, we're all broke. <laughs> when he said take up your cross, he didn't mean wear jewelry. It was an instrument of death. You know, if we we're going to put it in the vernacular, we say, Jacob, you want to follow me? You want to follow me? Deny your flesh's desire. Take up a guillotine in an electric chair daily and come after him. How many people would rush to that altar call? You know what they rushed to? Every one of you. Brothers, every one of you is a champion. They rush to that because it's what your flesh wants to hear. It's what your flesh already wants to hear. I don't have a self-loathing attitude. There's no self-mortification in me. I understand exactly who I am and the man that God has called me to be. You know what I hate? I hate the weakness that I feel in my flesh when the power of God compels me to do something and the flesh doesn't want to. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying hate your body. I'm saying hate the sinful desires that are the voice of the flesh. I get, can y'all hear it? Yeah. Am I the only I It won't pick up on the video, I know, but can you hear it? Yeah. This is not a problem in our attic. This is not a, a, a furnace gone bad. You know what that is? That's people who are dedicated to a foreign god in your backyard. And they're playing drums to him. They're playing drums. I've been to countries that are predominantly Buddhist. Sri Lanka is more than 80% Buddhist. You've heard that they're peaceful, right? That's a lie. They will cane you right in the face just for talking about Jesus. They will burn down your house and run you out of a neighborhood for no other reason than you were too bold in your faith. And they're worshiping them right back here. Guys, we're in a war zone and we've forgotten. We're in a war zone and we don't realize it because it's a spiritual war zone. And the enemy's propaganda has been your affluence. The enemy's propaganda has been your lethargy that you can fold your hands and go to sleep at night without fear because it's not happening to you. But is there somebody on your block that is a slave to addiction? Is there somebody on your block that cannot get free from a crippling spirit? The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news. To do what? Come on, man. To fix those with broken hearts. To heal those that are injured. To release from prison those who are held in darkness. This is the call of God. You can go take self-defense classes. Renan will teach you and that's not a bad thing. But there is no natural warrior that can contend with a supernatural power. It takes something supernatural. Which was Justin's testimony.
We want to deal with this and we want to deal with it in a right way. Let's do this. Let's go to Isaiah 63. Please turn with me to these. I'm tempted to say, Joy, take down that picture, but I think we ought to leave it up. Okay. We don't kill our own food anymore. We don't see our loved ones succumb to death very often anymore. We are so insulated that we forget there's a war going on. But you hold the hand of someone you love that is dying, and you'll remember death as an enemy. You go preach the funeral of a 12-year-old in a four-wheeler accident, and you will remember that we are in a battle. You go with Joel and stand at the abortion clinic and watch people walk in pregnant and walk out without babies in their womb, and you will remember that we are in a war. You know, when Attila the Hun killed the children, it was unthinkable that archers would shoot at his soldiers with their own children tied to the soldiers' horses. If it was Houston, perhaps they wouldn't consider them lives and they would just shoot away. My goodness. Turn with me to Isaiah 63. They built the largest abortion clinic in the nation in the same city with the largest church as a nation. And no one blinks. No one even blinks. Instead, we just tell everybody, what? That's not God's best for you. Murder's not God's best for you. Is that, is that message changing? Do you feel the piercing conviction of that statement? Yeah? That's not God's best for you. Suicide's not God's best for you. Murder a child's not God's best for you. Really? I think the Bible's got a name for that. I think it's called sin. We never talk about an individual's sin anymore. We talk about sin in general. Sin is bad. God is good. Devil's bad. But we don't talk about our own sin. And so we don't hate it. I look around in here and I see friends, people that I love, that I care about. But I know good and well you're operating on about a tenth of what God has called you to. You say, well, even with that tenth, you know, sometimes... Man, I had a great testimony last week. Imagine what you could do if you got rid of the bondages of the flesh and the pollution of the world and were set loose from shame and guilt. Where would Keithan be in a month if he was sold out for the Lord in an unbelievable way? Where would Jacob be if he had a year of completely undefiled devotion to the Lord? Where would we be? When you're in a war, you put away childish things. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth. After they put the AK-47 in our faces in Mexico the other day, our conversation in our car, it got right fast. <laughs> it did. And when we got out of the car where we stopped, you know, we attempted to little, do a little dance. You know, I won't go get Miriam in the tambourine. Horse and riders been cast into the sea. Except when we sing about warfare, it's hokey. And you know why it's hokey? None of you have seen your loved ones beheaded. None of us have felt it unless you've been on a battlefield. And the problem is you left the battlefield and came back home to what we think is civilian life. Except the Bible says you are not civilians. Did you know that? The Bible says you are not a civilian. People come back with post-traumatic stress syndrome and I get it. I'm not belittling any soldier's effort. I admire the soldiers. They're a step closer to where all of us should live all of the time. You know why there should be no post-traumatic stress syndrome? You're not post-trauma. 
You've just moved from one kind to another. They're not after the trauma. They're still incurring it. They're, they're experiencing the spiritual part of it right now. The two are forever connected. Wednesday night, I couldn't help. I was shocked. I hurt to read the scripture on Mark. They saw a demon-possessed child and could not cast out the demon. Jesus said this kind only comes out with prayer, motion to the Lord, and fasting. Denial of the flesh. You know what they were doing? Are you? This is a great picture of where the church is. There is no power because there is no denying of self and following Jesus. There's no devotion. You can't be guilted into these things. You can't be shamed into them. Somewhere deep down inside you, something has to rise that says, I want more of Jesus. Something has to rise that says, I want to help them. Why do you think this young man went all the way to Africa? He went because he wanted to do something about it. Are you in Isaiah 63? Look at the first verse. Who is this coming from Edom, from Basra, with his garments stained crimson? Who is this robed in splendor, striding forth in the greatness of his strength? Do you hear how masculine these words are? We paint our churches pink. They're attended mostly by women. God bless you, women. You know why? Because you're more faithful than the men who are supposed to leave your homes. But the Bible describes a masculine kind of faith, even for women. I'll prove that to you in a minute. It is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why are your garments red like those of one treading the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone from the nations. No one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments. Do you know who is speaking? The sweet little lamb of God. The eight pound, seven ounce, golden diaper baby Jesus in your nativity set. His garment was drenched with the blood of the enemy. Say, oh, well, this is all just speaking about spiritual. You know when spiritual steps into the natural? When it affects your life. When the armies are outside your house. When the people are around you. Hezekiah prayed to the God of heaven. And the God of heaven answered him in the natural realm. Do you hear me? For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and the year of my redemption has come. Did you hear how vengeance and redemption went together? That's nowhere in our Christian theology. Your salvation is their retribution. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled that no one gave support. So my own arm worked salvation for me, and my own wrath sustained me. I trampled the nations in my anger, and in my wrath I made them drunk and poured their blood on the ground. You're going to love this transition. How about verse 7? I will tell of the kindness of the Lord, the deeds for which He is to be praised. According to all that the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things He has done for the house of Israel. Are you hearing that? When you sing of the kindness of the Lord, His kindness that leads you to repentance, what are we singing about? We never picture things like this, do we? But, if someone came in here right now, he held up the gun, right? He said, oh, I'd never deny Jesus. No, he's not pointing the gun at you. 
he went to our children's church. And one by one, starting with the prettiest, cutest, which of course is mine. you began to say, Lord, you are mighty to save. When you began to call upon his name, when you began to cry out for justice, how would you want it? Hmm? See, we have this manby-pamby idea about God. You'd be praying for a hailstone to fall upon him. You'd be praying for the building to collapse, the earth to open up and swallow him. By any means necessary, Lord, save our children. This is the kind of salvation the Bible is talking about. We've so spiritualized everything that we forgot what happens in the spiritual is reflected in this realm. The kind of ruler that you have in the spiritual realm will life or whether you have... Ephesians 2 divides the whole world into two groupings. Those who are filled with the Spirit of God or those who are filled with the Spirit of disobedience. Uh, they're filled with the prince of the power of the air. He always steals, always kills, always destroys. So when you see stealing, killing, and destroying, we know that spiritual violence is occurring in those lives. Kingdom clashes against kingdom. And if those kingdoms fight there, it shows up here. You begin to see why prayer is so important? Angels, spiritual warriors, obey the voice of people who are submitted to the living God. You have power to do something about these things. While we're already in Isaiah, why don't we go ahead and turn to 59. That'll be a page to the left. Look at verse 15. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So His own arm worked salvation for Him. And His own righteousness sustained Him. He put on righteousness as His breastplate. And the helmet of salvation on His head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped Himself in zeal as in a cloak. According to what they have done, so will he repay wrath to his, to his enemies, retribution to his foes, and he will repay the islands their due. From the west men will fear the name of the Lord, and from the rising of the sun they will revere his glory. For he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins. As for me, this is my covenant. We're going to talk about the word never departing from them. What is the Lord wearing? A breastplate of righteousness. It's an instrument of war. What is he wearing? A helmet of salvation. How many of you have ever read Ephesians 6? We teach it to our kids in Sunday school, right? And what we do, we put a cheesy little sword on the wall and we talk about the sword of the Spirit. And it's all so hokey and childlike. We talk about the helmet of salvation and on our little felt board, we stick a, a, a helmet to it. The Hebrew prophets, when they pictured God, pictured a mighty warrior coming to rescue. Now, church, who is the body of Christ? You are. A mighty warrior coming to rescue. Maybe Paul didn't have in mind a Roman soldier's uh, armor at all. Maybe he simply had read the prophets and heard their descriptions of God and he said, you ought to be clothed with Christ and here's what it looks like. Truth around your waist, breastplate on your chest. Are you hearing me? 
And this is like weaponry. You know why? When those things are buckled upon you by way of your lifestyle, the flesh does not rule you. The world bounces off you. And then there's nothing left between you and the enemy. You are not in the way of you. That's what a life looks like that is armored like God. Is this how we describe Him in New Believers class? Is this, what we, is, this, is this what we teach our kids from preschool on up? It's not. Maybe we have a distorted view. Maybe we've not had this balance. You know, I just want a warm, loving God who talks to me in gentle tones. The problem with that, friends, we don't have a warm, loving enemy who talks to us in gentle tones. How many of you like soldiers to be soldiers on the battlefield and daddies at home? Right? There's an appropriate time and place for everything. We are in a war. There was a steam liner, a luxury cruiser during World War II. The Queen Elizabeth. Anybody know about that ship? Good, then I can tell you about it. In its stateroom, during its days as a luxury liner, every place, every eating place, had ten pieces in the place setting. In the rooms where people slept, right, there was room to sleep three, husband, a wife, and a child. During a time of war, though, they converted it to a warship. Twelve people slept in every one room. In every place setting where there had been ten pieces of fine china and silver all together, now had ten, ten plates in that same setting. Do you hear the difference between a wartime mentality? Where you understand the stakes that are at hand. You do whatever. They stopped whole basketball games during World War II. They stopped athletic competitions to go pick up bottle caps and bobby pins so that we would have metal because we needed it for bullets. Now we beg people to support missions. Can't get people to give up a meal for missions because we don't understand where it war. During World War II, maybe half a million people in the Allied forces died, about right? Half a million people? How many are dying daily right now without hearing the word because of spiritual violence? Yeah. Three quarters of the world's population is in a grouping of the world where all of the unreached people groups are. They've not heard. And when they have heard, they've heard lies and distortions. They've heard that God wants you rich. They've heard that you're under a curse if you don't have the things the Americans have. And it is devilish. It is devilish. The church is so distracted with materialism. Of course, 1 Timothy 6 says you plunge yourself into bad things for desiring to get rich. Plunge yourself into it. And our whole nation is built around it. I'm not going to read you all of the things in 1 Chronicles, but in 1 Chronicles 5, the 22nd verse, if you're taking notes and would like to check, it says many were slain that day. Many. You know why? The battle was of the Lord. You hear me? They faced a superior number, but many died in the opposition because the Lord fought for them. The Lord took lives. Now you can relax. I'm not about to give you a gun. I'm not about to tell you to go into the neighborhood. We do not do warfare this way. 
The flesh is never a match for a spiritual enemy. There's only one way to fight in the spiritual realm, and this is to fight with your spirit. In Exodus 12, 41, someone read that. Read it loud. Read it proud. Get there and read it. Come on now. At the end of the 430 years to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. All of the Lord's what left Egypt? Divisions. What an amazing word, divisions. This is a military word. You divide troops into divisions. This caused the Hebrew people to call God Yahweh Saba. It means the Lord of hosts. It means the Lord who is a military commander. When they left Egypt, He organized them for battle. You know who else did this? When Jesus fed the 5,000, He had them sit in groups of hundreds and fifties. He organized them to do warfare. One warfare in, in Exodus looked one way, and another warfare in Matthew or John looked another way. But they both were conducted by a Lord who is the commander over the divisions of God's army. In Joshua 5.14, somebody shows up to talk to Joshua. This is before he goes into Jericho. Who shows up to talk to him? The commander of the Lord's armies. You know what was in his hand? A sword. And it was drawn. This caused Joshua to take a step back, so to speak. He said, well, um, who are you for? Us or our enemies? you know what the answer was? Neither. I'm here for the Lord's will to be done. How many of you, when you have read the story of Jericho, thought that like a, a, like a magician's miracle happened? David Copperfield came out, and, and there was, see, there was this wall around the city, but when he snapped his fingers, the wall disappeared like magic. No, friends, in the spiritual realm, there was somebody with a sword. Maybe the sword struck the walls and destroyed the walls. Some, why do angels have swords? Because there is warfare happening. And if they have swords, and they follow your commands, then maybe we need to realize that we are in a battle. We are in a battle. We have power to liberate, or we have the power to continue to participate in oppression through apathy. None of you would willingly hurt anyone, but if you have the power to help them and don't, you are participating in their misery. Man, Justin, after you've gone to another place and seen somebody's child, all of a sudden, you have a personal attachment. It's hard to forget about that. Why do we have to see the child, touch the child, be there? Because we've gotten so calloused in listening to our flesh that it takes a lot to get through. Church, I'm trying. You're my friends to wake you up. I want to tell you that our conceptions are just wrong. I'm going to ask you a question that is not a trick question, okay? This is a church where we want you to speak to us. And are you Catholics out there? You, you recovering Catholics? <laughs> I'm going to give you a hint. Even though you spent years in, in an organization where you did not really get to study the Word, you're going to know the answer to this. 
because it's in the word, but it's also in church tradition. Who is the most blessed among women? Hmm. Come on, say it. Who's the most blessed among Mary. women? Mary. And don't we all know that, right? Mary. Of course, Judges 5, 24 through 27 says a woman named Jael, who most of you never heard of, is the most blessed among tent-dwelling women. You know why? Because a foreign commander came into Israel to oppress all of the people. His name was Sisera. And he brought chariots and war horses, and they would quite literally harm the women and all of the ways that historically women have been harmed in warfare. They would dash the children to pieces on rocks. She made him a bowl of milk. She said, let's go lie down together. I don't know what was on Sisera's mind. I know what was on JL's mind. About the time she put, he put her, he put his head in her lap, she pulled out a tent spike and drove it right through his skull. And they sang songs about her being the most blessed among women. You know why? She saved her people. She saved them from his evil intentions. Well, I'm not going to hand out tent pegs. Not going to do it. But I'm going to tell you somebody who is worse than Sisera is ruling over lives and you run into them every day. You want to be blessed? Do something about it. Be a part of liberation rather than occupation. Friends, we are behind enemy lines. When you were born, you were born into an environment where the majority of people around you are willingly or unwillingly serving satanic powers. Look, do you think Paul just never went to Bible school? Is that the thing? You know, Paul, you don't understand. We like to talk in terms of theology. Paul, you don't understand. We can't build churches talking like you. Who says we will find out what power you have? Who says the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power? Paul, we don't talk like that. We talk in terms of intellectual ascension. We talk in terms of creed. We talk in terms of magical little altar prayers with do-nothing lives. Paul talked in terms of power. Power to see somebody who was oppressed and speak the anointed word of God into their life and put oil on their wounds and bandage them and deny your flesh's desire to feed itself and do everything else and give of yourself power over the flesh, power over the world, power over Satan's forces to liberate a life. Amen. This is, we shouldn't go on missions trips. We should have missions lives. We're in a war and we, we don't know it. I, 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 I'm your pastor. And I'm telling you, when I came back from India, something happened. Not in India, when I came back. I turned on a television set for the first time in about 42 days. And something happened. As I flipped through the channels... I'm not telling you to throw away your TVs. I, you'll buy them again next month. So don't do it. You want to test it out, unplug it. Set it in the corner. We took ours off the wall. We unplugged them. We set them in the corner. When I came back from the mission field, I turned on a television set and something happened to me. I felt oppressed. As I flipped through the channels looking for something that was acceptable to watch, I got through the Brazil booty lifts. I got through the sexier abs. I got through uh, the, the dance like the stars. I got through all of that looking for something to watch. 
cultured, oppressed. That's not what bothered me. You know what bothered me? Because the day before I left for India, I didn't feel that oppression, but it was still there. That's what bothered me. I had let the devil come into my house and make dirty faces at me from a TV set I was paying for. And I didn't even notice it. I didn't notice it because I'm like every other American. We've learned to tolerate wickedness. We've learned to fall asleep in the battle and call ourselves champions while others do the work of God and we slumber at our leisure. We're asleep while the Indian and Chinese Christians are in prison for advancing the gospel. Most of us will go eat in some restaurant today that would feed an Indian pastor for a month. I'm not telling you not to fill your bellies. I'm not telling you not to buy nice things. I'm certainly not telling you to hate yourself, but we do need to wake up. We are at war. We're at war, and when you realize what's at stake, when you realize there are people carving those symbols into others' backs, if you knew him, you would care. He belongs to Jesus. He's your brother. <coughs> Pastor Yusuf, they're about to kill him in Iran right now. Anybody <coughs> losing sleep over that? See, we're insulated. We think our world is the world, and it's not. We live in a little bubble. Because we live in that bubble, our view is distorted. Jesus doesn't live in our bubble. Let's deny the flesh. Let's begin to break bondages of the flesh. You do not have to obey your flesh. Your flesh has to obey you. You need to begin to believe that. You need to begin to test it. If you have a habit in your life, you cannot sit down for a day without thinking about it all day. If you have a habit in your life that you can't set aside for a week, Peter said, whatever masters of man, he's a slave to. He said that. We can all talk about freedoms, and I think you know I am the freedoms pastor. I've been called everything from a drunk to a glutton. I, I've been called everything. To the best of my knowledge, there is not a single thing in my life that I cannot completely walk away from. But putting that to the test, I just seriously contemplate something as stupid as taking a TV off my wall. I'm not telling you what choices you should make. I'm telling you how to wrestle with the right choices, though. Is that fair? Amen. Let's talk about the world. Turn with me to James 1.27. If you beat me there, then you feel free to read it aloud. If I beat you there, then I'll read it. It'll be James 1, 27. I beat you. I don't know what to say. I, I beat you. Religion that our God, God our Father, accepts as pure and fault, faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. Before I move forward, our two-step plan in moving forward was number one, deny your flesh. Number two, let's get focused on other people. You know what the difference between a man who's starving himself and a man who's fasting is? The man who's starving himself is doing it because he hates himself. The man who is fasting is saving what he would have eaten to give to someone else. Are you hearing me? If you're fasting and it is not to liberate someone else, go read Isaiah 58. You're stupid. 
You're uneducated. You're dull. You're simply hurting your body. A fast has a purpose. Isaiah outlines it. A fast is to break the chains of the oppressed, for it is not a fast, it's a hunger strike. Well, I fast twice a week. Okay, who's getting saved twice a week? What's it doing twice a week? What are you doing? So, well, I just want to deny the voice of my flesh. You're not really denying the voice of your flesh if you're not doing something for someone else. Your flesh loves you. Even fasting can be a way of feeding the flesh. You say, how could that be? Look at how much I fast. Let your fast be for someone else. Our two-step plan has to do with denying yourself and focusing on someone else. James apparently has the same plan because he says religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, what kind of pollution would James have seen? I mean, let's just talk pollution for a second. Don't spiritualize it. Did he ever see a combustion engine? No. Did he ever see a plastic bottle? No. Did he ever see a meltdown at a, a Japanese nuclear facility? No. no. So what, what did he see as pollution? I don't know. Maybe somebody threw their biodegradable bone out? What was pollution in his day? Guys, what I'm trying to say is if Jen's world was polluted, how polluted do you think our world is naturally and spiritually? That's what I'm trying to say. There's a kind of, of interaction with this world that has a way of polluting the deepest part of you. Back to my health club example. Why am I there? I don't want to be so fat I can't walk up the side of a mountain. Okay? And I've been there. Matt, you watched me. I'm so fat that I, I, Matt needed to carry me up the mountain. I'm not at all against, look, I'm heavy most of my life. That's not a problem. You know what's a problem? When something inhibits you from doing what God called you to do. Look, I, I'm not about any kind of physical perfection, obviously. All my prayer won't produce any more hairs on this head. They're falling out left and right. They fall away faster than Christians do from my church. Listen, what we are about is letting nothing keep you from doing God's will. Right? That's what we're about. James seems to say that there's a polluting effect. Back to that health club example. How do I know the lyrics to a song that I've never really listened to? Because I'm around it all of the time. Every time I go there, they are pumping influence in me. Not just there. Everywhere. Before your children ever can read, they will know what to do at a red octagonal symbol one thing. They don't know it says stop or alto or wherever you live, whatever it says. But they'll know what to do because they've seen it over and over and over. Before you've ever had a talk with them about sex, you know what? They'll know what to do because they have seen it over. I don't know where they heard that. I don't know. Get your head out of the sand, you ostrich. You have a demonic box in your house. You have demonic covers on your magazines. We are covered in demonic things. And we don't even realize it. This is not a superstitious pastor. You bring me Hitler's table, and you know what? I will anoint it with oil and eat breakfast on it without a thought. Won't bother me a bit. In fact, we'll auction it off and sell it for charity. 
I'm not concerned with being tainted by tangible things in this world. I'm concerned with being put to sleep while there are spiritual powers that want to kill me. Do you hear that? That's the difference. The world is subtly polluting us. No one tells you what to think. I cannot make Keaton think something. I can't make CJ think something. But through constant interaction, I am controlling some measure what they think about. You know why? How many times can you hear all day, red, 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 before that image pops into your mind of red? This is the enemy's tactic in America. He is flooding us, dulling our senses all of the time so that you could show a movie like Psycho in the 60s. Didn't even show a knife. Didn't show an actual stabbing. It showed a shadow. And it horrified people. When I was a kid, Freddy Krueger was popular. You saw his fingers like knives. His skin looked like it came out of hell, and he literally carved people up, and it was no longer shocking. Do you feel what's happening to us? We're being polluted by the world, and we've learned to accept it. There is another kind of pollution. Many of you guys understand already uh, the demonic power behind yucky things, so you've worked to eliminate them. The movies that you watch are movies that you have carefully screened. The radio stations that you listen to are stations that are careful because you know that if you put garbage in, you'll be garbage out. Many of you were in that category, though I want to confess I'm sad that not enough of us are in that category. And I'm going to take full responsibility for it. It's this pastor's fault in this congregation. I set an example for you that is not good. Okay? I condemned myself by what I approve. Do you, do you hear me? That's my fault. And you followed my lead. So I'm just telling you, this pastor will not watch things that Jesus would not watch. I'm not going to tell you that I'm mature enough to just let it roll off or I don't consider. I'm just not going to do it. You know why? I don't want to even have to put that kind of effort forth. There's a real fight going on. I don't want to have to do that. Uh, so I, I'm just, I'm going to set you an example. You don't believe me? I, I, if nothing else, I'm a stubborn human being. And I'm telling you, until the day I die, that is not going to be a hole that I fall into again. Is that, is that real enough for you? Okay, I'm just telling you right where I'm at. It's like saying this flight is headed this way. You don't have to be on the flight. You don't want to be on it. But this is where the flight's headed. Okay, that, that's, that's, that's where I'm at with this. Turn with me to 2 Timothy. You know, I, I want to raise money for missions while you turn into 2 Timothy. I did. And last year we spent, uh, I think, about $30,000 on missions. That's saying something for a church that I, I think our budget last year was about $120,000. Something like that. Uh, this year I really want to go further than that. I really, I, I want to hit 40% of everything that comes in going to missions. That's, that's my heart's desire. To the point where uh, I've got behind that in, uh, I, I don't own anything anymore. Uh, I, I mean, nothing. We've sold it. We've done everything that we can personally do to set that example. One way to raise money for missions, I could just put donuts out here. I could pat you on the back and tell you, you are a wonderful human being that God loves more than anyone else on the planet if you throw some change on the planet. I'd raise some money for missions, but what would I be reaching people with? See, much of the charismatic message has degenerated into an appeal to greed. It has degenerated into something 
that is actually so polluted by the world, there's little gospel in it. Okay? I mean, that's just where we're at. You name the ten most popular charismatic preachers, and I put myself in that category, though I will not belong to a demonation. I just won't do it. Not, not, not ever. My allegiance is to Jesus and Him alone, not Springfield, Missouri, not anywhere else, definitely not the Vatican. But you name the top ten most famous, and they're all saying things right now, like, give so that you can be blessed. And you can't outgive God, man. He will give you back seven times over. If that's true, let them give to you. Let, let them send their money to you. Then it'll grow seven times in your hands. It is a fishing for funds thing. And I'm not trying to beat people up. I'm just telling you, it's so rife that it's polluted us to the point well, we don't even want to talk about money. I challenge you to take your Bible concordance. Look up every time money, finances, mammon, any, any way that Jesus brought it up, denarii, silver coins, and you put them into positive and negative categories. And I will tell you three, three times to every one, it is a negative warning about money. America is the rich young ruler, and you are American. We're not doing what God said because we love our stuff. We love it. Are you in 2 Timothy 2? In 2 Timothy 2. Look at the fourth verse. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. The verse before it said, Endure hardship like a good soldier Christ Jesus. There is a kind of pollution in the world, but there is also simply an entangling that happens. An entangling that happens to us when we get sidetracked doing normal things. We get sidetracked from what God wants us to do for all of the things we have to do. This happens because we are a Sabbath-less society. We have not set aside any part of our time to do nothing ourselves and simply meditate on what God wants us to do. We don't have we took two days off of our work week to do it, and in those two days we filled it with everything that we want to do and have not ceased from doing anything to simply contemplate what God wants us to do. Now even saying Sabbathless society, pastors get mad right away. Oh, you know, the brother's Judaizing. You know, he's, he's becoming a Seventh-day Adventist. They can say whatever they want to say about me. I stopped caring a long time ago when I quit going to the meetings. Okay? The reality is, any way that you read it, whether a Saturday Sabbath, like uh, the Jewish community that God instituted, or a spiritualized principle of the Sabbath, we have not ceased from our own labor ever to say, Lord, what do you want? This is like a soldier who gets so busy with the task he sees before him, he never checks with his commanding officer. And so as a result, he is not an effective soldier. He's tangled up in too many things. Do you hear me? Tangled. I'd like to talk to you about that word tangled for a second. Turn with me to Joshua. Two kinds of ways that our world and our environment affects us. One is it pollutes us through yucky things. The second is our involvement in it causes entanglement. Go to Joshua, the sixth chapter. Are you all mad at me? It's okay if you are, but I want you to be honest about it. Have the courage to say you're mad. At least we could be men and women that say what we think. 
in this ministry, I'll deal with anything that's said. We'll love each other. I will respect you more for saying that. But don't bury it in your heart and run off and refuse to take phone calls. That really is as cowardice as it could possibly get. Did you know that every army in Israel was a volunteer army? Did you know that? So, well, how did that work? Well, the priest went out and said what God said we were going to do. And then, and according to Deuteronomy 20, he said, Did any of you, uh, you pride a field and you want to go out and take care of it? You can go ahead and go. Any of you newly married and you're worried about your wife? Uh, you, you go. We don't need you. God has never needed anything superior naturally. He needed people totally dedicated spiritually. And what was spiritual would overcome what was natural 100% of the time. Now, many people have looked at this and seen compassion. They see compassion in Deuteronomy 20. They say, God was so compassionate, Matthew, that if you planted a fig tree, he wanted you to be able to eat it. Charlie, God was so compassionate that if you were just betrothed to Miss Joe, he wouldn't go home and enjoy Miss Joe. Y'all build a life together. Don't, don't die in warfare. And, and definitely God is compassionate. But you know what else is there? God didn't want Charlie or Matthew on the battlefield thinking about their fig trees and vines. He wanted them on the battlefield, solely dedicated to what he called them to do. Take it to the enemy. Do you hear me? It's like maybe God understands us. We have a hard time when our feet are in one place and our heart is somewhere else. So this message is really trying to get our heart out of the flesh, out of the world, and in the battle. And I'm telling you, it's a volunteer army. God himself says, you don't want to participate, that's okay. By the way... <clears throat> Bob Dylan had it right in 69 when he wrote the song, you got to serve somebody. There is no middle ground. There is no middle ground. He was either serving the Lord or he was serving the devil. If he reads his own song today, I wonder how it feels about his life. But Bob Dylan's not in my church. You are. God didn't put him before me today. He put you before me today. We have to serve someone. Who are we serving? In Joshua 6, Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went in and no one came out. Skip down to, oh, I think it's probably in verse 11. Let's see. Darn, it's not 11. Go with me to the 7th chapter and 11th verse. Uh, 10th verse. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have, they have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things and have stolen. <coughs> they have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and they run because they have been made liable to destruction. Now, you guys know this story. This is, this is where Achan has taken something that God said not to take. What did he take? He took precious metals, coins, and he buried them in his house. Twice. Once in Joshua 6, which is eluding me at the moment. It'll come to me in a moment if one of you Bible scholars wants to find it. And then once in Joshua 7, God repeats the same phrase. He says... You have made yourself liable to destruction because you have touched devoted things. If you have a King James or New King James Bible, it would say an accursed thing. This is a Hebrew word called kerim. And it's interesting because it appears all over the word, but it's never translated devoted or accursed anywhere else. You know what it's usually translated as? 
It's translated in Ecclesiastes and in Micah and Habakkuk as a snare or a net. So what on earth is that? God was warning them before they went into battle. You're going to see things in this kingdom that I call the world You're going to see things that I have devoted to destroy. I don't like the way it's being done. I will destroy it. I don't want you to touch them. Because if you do, they will become carrying to you. They will become a snare. They will become a trap. Something that you use to catch birds. And you will be liable for destruction. There's three definitions for liable when you think about the word liable. The first and most obvious is legally obligated. The second definition is at risk of or subject to experiencing something unpleasant. If you do that, you're liable to get slapped. The third is likely, in reference to the negative. Uh, he's liable to, to drown since he can't swim, right? You'll be liable to destruction if you allow yourself to become entangled in things that God is destroying. Then you get destroyed with them. This is the sense in which Paul is writing to Timothy and he says no soldier concerns himself with civilian affairs. You hear me? He says, I don't want you to get wrapped up in things that the Lord himself is overthrowing. Instead, I want you to be a part of those who liberate. 1 John 3.8 says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. We can't be a part of his work. One way to be a part of his work is participating in pollution, yuckiness. But another way is simply to be participating in ways he didn't call you to in this world. How many of you were spirit-led to watch two hours of TV yesterday? How many of you were spirit-led to pay $12.50 to go watch some demon-inspired movie because it was entertaining? How many of you were spirit-led to listen to that artist sing about all of their sexual activity and violent conquest? How many of you were spirit-led to ignore the man at McDonald's? See, we get wrapped up in the things that we have to do. Come up here, Mike. Matthew, would you grab a guitar? Devin, you come here. Let's just suppose that Mike has some bondage in his flesh. He's tired. Right? Is it wrong to be tired? Not at all. It's only wrong to go to sleep when God says go to work. Mike, you, uh, Gabe, you can put these on Mike. You don't have to put them tight. It's just an illustration. Right? He's going to break them like Samson. That's part of the illustration. If they don't go around Mike's giant wrists, you can put them together. Mike is tired and God has said go to work. See, I need a Cajun to come and work the cast net. <laughs> Mike is tired because Mike stayed up all night watching TV. And the next morning, God wants him to go to a prayer meeting, but he sleeps in. Somebody on the other side of the planet, like Justin, his life depends upon the prayer that's going to come out of that prayer meeting. But Mike's flesh says, you know, 
you deserve to sleep. That's like wearing handcuffs and going to spiritual battle. But there's something worse than that. See, 12 times this week, Mike has seen something that he didn't want to see. He didn't ask to see it. But he put himself in a place where he was going to see it. And now, while tired and feeling handcuffed, have you ever wondered how a thought comes into your mind? Right? Like you're sitting there and you have a crazy thought. Mom, you're sitting there and you're thinking, I want a corned beef sandwich. You haven't had corned beef in 20 years, right? Some of you don't even know what corned beef is. And you go, oh, that's right. Yesterday, I was talking to Nolan. And Nolan said that he had a Jewish doctor. And while he was talking to his Jewish doctor, he said, look, my buddy Cody made a ham sandwich. And the Jewish doctor kind of said, you know, I'm not so into ham sandwiches. And that brought up a whole other conversation about Swaski's Deli. And at Schlosky's Deli, they sell ham, but they also sell corned beef. That's why Mom was thinking about corned beef. Anybody ever have those crazy kind of train of thoughts like that? It's kind of entangling. See, because Mike didn't want to think about things of the world at all. But he talked to people that were thinking about worldly things all of the time. And so now Mike, tired, finds himself having to cast down thoughts and war with thoughts about worldly things. Things, like maybe the bass boat that he should buy. This is like draping Mike in a net and entangling him in the net. Now, I don't know about you, but most men have this kind of thing that we can do. When another man walks up to you, you have a sense in the first few seconds. Renan will know exactly what I'm talking about. In the first few seconds, you're thinking, not always, but many times, of how you would do if it came down to you and him. That's just a normal thing. Right? It's a normal thing. Especially if you're not in a nice little protected environment. You're in New Orleans, you're walking from the airport to the car, and somebody's walking up. You have a way of noticing how they stand, where they hold their hands, or about what they weigh. Do they seem to move in an athletic fashion or a non-athletic fashion? You seem to notice those things right away. And this kind of sigh of relief comes when you see, you know. <laughs> Devin, how would you like to have to fight Mike? See, because men can do this. We can look and we can go, I would like maybe not to have to do that. Right? But if I said, Devin, you know, how would you like to fight Natalie? <laughs> Put gloves on her, right? This is how God has made us. He has made us to be spiritually intimidating. And He's made us to be spiritually intimidating. Why? When others size us up, they see something made in the image of God. The problem is, bondages in our flesh and a love for the world present a picture of someone who looks like God. Somebody truly intimidating like a warrior, like Michael, starts to look subdued. Now, you know what I didn't tell you about? I didn't tell you that Michael got mad at Jennifer. And he said to Jennifer something he heard when he was a kid in a rap song. You know one of those words. You know what I'm talking about. It's not the lady that flies on the broom, but it sounds similar. So now Mike feels so guilty he can't speak about the Lord. Even when he has a right thought, he doesn't feel qualified to say it. His love for the world's entangled him. His guilt has silenced him. And his flesh 
has bound him. Now what I do is I walk up and I say, Hey, Michael! Luke 10.19 says, I've given you authority over every power of the enemy. He's like, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> that hasn't done a thing for him to exercise that. You want to shadow box with your dad for a second? Go punch it. How's Mike going to do with this? Even an inferior person. Now, does Mike hold some danger to this one? Of course. If he kicks him, he's going to land somewhere back there by that Buddhist temple. Even a Christian bounds. Even a Christian who is netted by this world poses a threat to the enemy. This is why we see some success when we pray. This is why we see some power when we are going in the direction God wants. But we're only seeing a small potential of what we actually have in our when this is our situation. What we're trying to do in this preaching and teaching is we are trying to figure out how to get you all kind of motivated to get yourself unwrapped with the world. To get your life not so tangled up in it. How are you going to baptize your mind in nasty things eight hours a day, three hours a day, one hour a day, and read the Word less than 15 minutes a day? And think that you are not ensnared by the world. You say, well, I don't love it, but you are thinking about it. How on earth are we going to get you free from that? Well, I'll go to the altar and I'll pray. Well, that might remove the tape from your mouth for a moment. You don't feel guilty. But you're still netted. How on earth are we going to get you to get out of the bondages of handcuffs? Well, how are you feeling about this fight right now, though? The game just changed, didn't it? Hear me. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. And what will happen? He will run from you. Because he knows he's no match. The only reason he stands toe-to-toe -to -toe with you now is because when he sees you in the spiritual realm, he sees you handcuffed. He sees you netted. You're telling him to go with your right hand and advance with your left. You're telling him, I am here to run you out at the same time you are buying his stuff. Church, this is a wake-up. I'm going to preach about spiritual violence until I feel like you've listened to me. I'm going to show it to you in my life. We're going to be about liberating people. We're going to fund those who do. Right? Our church spends far more money in missions than it does to staff our church. I, I want you to know that. And if I have my direction about it, as long as I'm alive, it will always be that way. And it's certainly not because we don't want full-time people. I could use Matthew's help. We just can't afford it right now. I can tell you the one area we will never cut back on is the battlefield. But it's not just in other places. Other places are starting to send missionaries here. Because we're the most enslaved people on the planet. Church, I'm asking you to get serious. I'm asking you to get serious to the point that it affects your prayer life, that it affects your financial life, I'm asking you to get serious to the point that whatever your leisure life looks like, it just changed. That's, that's all I'm saying. Right? Well, Eric, I'm just not into this militant message. Then you're not into Jesus. I'm not wearing fatigues and toting a gun. I'm just telling you we have to be forceful in the kingdom or we're not going to make it. Start with your own flesh. 
Then start with the things of the world and you will be prepared for the devil. The next time we cover this topic, we will start with the world, review, and we'll move to Satan. But you will never be a match for Satan if you've not mastered your flesh and the things of this world. You're playing with his toys. It costs 36 men to die, Achan said. 36 men in battle, plus Achan, his, his wife, his family, and every animal that he owned. You know why? He didn't master his flesh's desire for the world, and he got himself tangled up by taking the world's things and putting them among the people of God. Yeah. He got ensnared, tangled. But I'm sure we're all doing much better than that. I couldn't find anything of the world in any of your houses. Church, let's wake up. Lives are on the line. Yeah. If the treasters are praying for their son, who's a missionary, and guns are pointed at him, do you think they'll be serious? Do you think they'd drop everything? Or would they go, well, you know, I have to pay a cable bill. I, I, have, I mean, I, I, I have to sit down and take care of these things. Or would they drop everything and pray for him? That's because it's their son. When do we begin to look and take responsibility for the kingdom of God like it was our son? Stand to your feet, okay? That was an hour and 15 minutes of preaching. That's a long time, but we bought new seats. <laughs> we can't accomplish in preaching what we should accomplish through a right lifestyle. We can't. What I can do is try to spur you in the right direction. What you do is up to you. A word of warning. Nobody in this church needs to look at another person in this church and begin to judge them. You do not need to look and go, I watch no TV yet. I heard you say you watch that show and it's two hours. Don't do that. Be led by the Spirit. I'm going to tell you the truth. If you could see in the Spirit, you'd see a net around many feet. Maybe even yours. Let's work on helping each other get free rather than pointing out each other's bondage. Do you hear me? The Holy Ghost will do the rest. He will. Amen. Nobody had to give me a rule book to tell me what to do. I mean, they tried, but I was too stubborn for that. The Holy Ghost took me line by line for what I needed to do. And he's so patient with me that after 20 years in the faith, I'm still finding out new things to do just like it was the first day I was born again. As we worship, let him speak and tell you what to do. You feel so much better having done it. You really do. Also, if you'd like to take responsibility for prayer for a nation, if you want to make a difference, there are numbers in this basket. You'll draw randomly so that the Lord can assign you a nation. We're going to post a list next to that map on the wall in the back of who has what nation so we can rejoice with each other when we see things happen. We can rejoice when you're praying for a nation and something good happens there. When we meet a missionary to your nation, we have a chance to support you. When we see revival in your nation, and the one nation that is not in our bucket is the nation we live in. And it's not because we've already dealt with this one. We're dealing with it by way of the fact we live here. We want to care about a nation we don't live in. Amen? Amen. Justin, you pray for us, and Matthew will lead us into worship. We are dismissed. You only stay. You only worship. That's what your heart compels you to do. If you have an obligation, 
If you're done, you've absorbed all you can. That's okay. We're not mad at you. I mean, most churches are over 45 minutes ago. But we're a long ways from most churches.